If a problem can be solved with money, then it is not a problem. It is an expense. This is the Goat Kicker X podcast. nice to be wanted, isn't it? I mean, I'll let you know the first time it happens to me, but I hear that it's a pretty good feeling. You know, when it comes to those warm fuzzies you feel internally, there's nothing that really quite hits that buzz of someone specifically seeking you out for your talents or your input, your expertise, your personality, your looks, whatever it be. When they say, that's the person I need on my team, or that's the person I'm going to reach out to in this time of need, it makes you feel good. Because you're just not one of the myriad of of NPCs in someone's life. We've talked about that before. The notion of you being the only player character and everybody else just kind of being pre-programmed algorithms that respond to you uh, in, in the progress of you trying to achieve your goal and your side quests. It makes you feel good because they acknowledge you for your strengths, either real or perceived. And it's a part of that feeling of belonging that someone goes out of their way to to include you. And as nerds, a lot of us grew up at a time when being a nerd uh, wasn't as culturally accepted. And we had to find a way to have a belonging amongst ourselves. That that inclusion was never implied. And sometimes, as I'm learning as an adult that the exclusion that we felt wasn't always actual either. That there are people who would have been perfectly fine buddying up to you in high school, but we all kind of were equally as miserable and as shy and as introverted as the other. And it kind of boggles my mind to think of the cool people that I looked up to in high school could have just been my friends had I made any effort. Just as I am, as the hymn says. I could have just come to them with my dirty, uh, overhead, <laughs> oversized head caricature of uh, Andre Dawson on my uh, t-shirt and uh, my Zubaz Cubs shorts and my torn up rock and roll jeans. If, if I would have just said hey to some of the girls in my honors classes, they would have said hey back. Not like hey, but like let's be friends, let's talk, what bothers you, what what grinds your gears? What What's good? And I never made that effort because I just assumed that I was excluded. There's this weird thing in nerd culture when we bond together uh, around different rallying flags, such as our hobbies or our interests or just our general awkward nerdiness, our obsessiveness, our our failure to really mature into adulthood and kind of get stuck in our adolescence or our fixation on some sort of hobby or pursuit because our valuation standards are all goofy. When we gather into groups around those flags, around those standards, sometimes you get stuck with people that maybe you shouldn't have given uh, a lot of extra consideration and people maybe you didn't necessarily enjoy being with, but that was your posse. I can think of the group of guys that in high school, before I met uh, my first serious girlfriend, um, that I spent a lot of time with. 
And these were guys that watched science fiction movies, read science fiction and fantasy novels, played role-playing games, played video games, were involved in different uh, levels of, of educational and athletic pursuits uh, at school that overlapped with my own. And we had a pretty big group of guys. We weren't the best of friends, all of us, but there was definitely a couple, two or three core populations that overlapped. And when we all got together on snow days to play pickup football in an empty lot, there was a lot of us. We were legion. And we could put together some pretty big groups of guys for, uh, for sleepovers and, and goofy stuff like that. We used to be able to field two teams to play softball just for fun. That didn't always happen. More often than not, we'd have to just go play basketball. But we definitely had a little circle of influence. And amongst that, that circle, amongst that nerdy population, that, that clan that we developed, our super family, as it were, there were some real assholes. People that were bullies and pushy. Uh, there was a pecking order. You'd think that nerds would know better. You'd think that people who throw themselves even more so into their hobby to escape the sort of pressures and, uh, and second-guessing and, um, and teasing that the world was offering us at the time for our interests and our awkwardness, you'd think we would be a little kinder to one another, but it isn't always the case. And I still see that happening today in the form of gatekeeping and in the form of being the, the loudest and best at coming up with either sarcastic comments or quote-unquote woke comments to kind of shame everybody else into their place. And this happens frequently within nerd communities. And I wonder why we do that to ourselves. And there's a reason. The reason is, is because people have the propensity and the druthers to be assholes just because we're humans. That's just part of what it is to be human. There's only so many different basic looks, so many different classes of human. And you might tweak your attributes a little bit, your skills, your feats, your equipment loadout. Those things might be a little different. But there's these archetypes, and asshole is definitely one of them. When I watch Red Litter Media on YouTube, which is sort of a guilty pleasure of mine, um, I really enjoy uh, the way that they feel like they're a bunch of guys that hang out together and just happen to have a camera on. And there's times when it reminds me of things uh, that my friends and I would have done had we lived in the Internet age. And there's things that actually you know, have some sort of intelligence and creativity behind them that I actually find myself you know, quite impressed by what they're putting together, considering uh, the material that they're putting out. It's smarter than it has a right to be, uh, and it's more educational than it has a right to be. But as I watch this and watch the, the members of that group interact with each other, and you kind of start to feel like you know them a little bit, you can kind of see certain personalities uh, and different uh, relationships sort of uh, rise to the surface. And one of the things I've noticed is Mike, who I think is really interesting and really smart and a type of person I'd love to pick his brain uh, regarding uh, different uh, movies and, and uh, film projects, um, He's a kind of a jerk, and I feel like he, he's not a bully in the classic sense, 
But I feel like he's a bit of a bully in that he's the alpha personality when he's on uh, in the room, when he's on camera. And um, there's definitely been some moments where I feel like people have sort of backed off and like cowed to his louder voice in the room because of this energy that he brings. He's the boss. He's the big dick. And um, you notice this most uh, on the episodes where he's not present and Jay is, and then Jay sort of takes up the mantle of the leader. And you see people kind of stepping out and being more of themselves. Now, it's always hard to tell how much of that is because um, alcohol is involved, (laughs) because they consume a lot of alcohol on that show. And uh, on their shows, I should say. And, uh, you know, at one time I thought it was a shtick. I thought that they didn't really consume all that alcohol. That was just kind of their branding. But I'm not so sure now that I've ingested more of their media. And this isn't a criticism of any of them. And I'm not calling out any of their characters. It's just something I've observed. And I've seen that on podcasts and in friend groups and uh, user groups on Facebook that uh, center around a hobby or some interest, that there's certain voices that sort of demand an authority instead of requesting the authority. And um, a lot of times they're willing to, to wield that authority, to wield that voice, to get others with dissenting opinions to either desist or to um, to agree with them. And it always makes me uneasy. And I've caught myself doing that in certain groups. I'm definitely not a gatekeeper by any means. I don't have that sort of authority in any of my interests. But I have found myself at taking that attitude with people like, I know, you don't know, you just need to listen to me. And I don't know why that is other than the fact that We all have that same gene in us. That if we forget to be kind or or we don't make an effort to be kind, that it's just as easy to be an asshole as not. And the more often that you give in to that gene, the more it becomes a part of your functional personality. It's a weird deal. Because no one's harder on nerds than other nerds. And the more hardcore uh, someone is about their passion, about their their enthusiasm, it gets ugly, man. We saw it here recently with these Disney Star Wars movies and how the Star Wars community really became cannibals. They just mauled each other. And from outside, it looks hilarious. But as someone that has uh, no skin in the Star Wars game, but like a concern about nerd and geek culture and about these families that we form and what they could do and what they could accomplish, it's really disheartening and it's really disappointing. I've noticed it a lot of my role-playing groups. It used to be music groups, uh, and I've I've almost completely stepped out of the world of, of music. But when you would be in a in a fandom group for a style of music or a band uh, or, or something along those lines, it, it always would would turn into stratification of some loudmouth asshole at the top and everybody below either fighting for oxygen or licking boots, <laughs> and it was very very disturbing to watch. 
And it's just the way things always are. It's the way things always are because it's just a part of human nature if we don't override it. As uh, the unofficial spokesman for nerd and geek culture and our mental uh, and emotional health, I would call on you within whatever groups you're involved in, whether the five guys that you meet up with in real life or your Facebook circles or whatever they be, try to operate in a way without that stratification and make everybody feel wanted because it is great to feel wanted. And what we really want with our hobbies and our relationships is to appreciate individuals and to celebrate these intellectual properties that bring us joy and escape and sometimes even bring meaning into our lives. And it's possible to celebrate and, and, and enjoy those things without it altering our personalities in a negative way or for us falling into the same click-like uh, high school uh, nonsense of in-groups and out-groups and infighting and the people who can only be friends with two people at a time, and the backstabbing, and the trash-mouthing, all of that stuff needs to go out the window. This is my, can't we all just get along? And I'm going to do it now before there's something large and public bringing attention to it. Because if I did this when people were debating uh, the Star Wars movies, it, it just gets lost in the noise. I'm calling for nerd unity when there isn't any one single big issue right now that is drawing attention to it. Let's be good before we're required to be good, before there's a cause to divide us. And let's make sure that everybody in our super family, our tribe, our group of people, we specifically agreed and consented into being a part of our lives feel like they belong there, feel like they're wanted, and feel like they're appreciated for their contribution. So one of the corners of nerddom that maybe we don't talk about so much uh, on this podcast is the world of sports. Um, sports nerddom has its own subculture, its own set of podcasts and obsessions, Um it's luckily uh, enough uh, for those who are sports geeks to have enjoyed a certain level of societal um, acceptance to where there's entire television and radio networks devoted to sports nerd pursuits. And it bleeds over into real life uh, often enough. So... Um, a lot of the dramas and the ins and outs of the sports world uh, end up being a part of our regular news cycle. And that happened this week. Uh, famous uh, footballer, uh, soccer player, Leo Messi of the Barcelona team, um, he had the details of his contract released to the public, which was humiliating uh, and also, um, as you can imagine, um, can cause some bones of contention amongst other athletes at his level or even on his own squad. Um, and uh, he was understandably irritated uh, by it. And he is, by report, a very uh, reserved and private individual on his own and had no desire for those sorts of details to be uh, broadcast to the world. Because of the outstanding nature 
of his contract because of his high profile as one of the best um, soccer players, best football players in the world, and um, and because of his usual uh, lack of ending up in the news, this became fodder for all sorts of journalism. So you may have even seen the report yourself that Messi made uh, all told with signing bonuses and incentives and everything counted in about $670 million for four years work. And that's outrageous. It's an outrageous amount of money. It brings to question uh, a couple things. Uh, One is the valuation that our society puts on certain roles uh, over others. And two, even if we accept that the role of the entertainer, the role of the artist or performing artist, uh, and I believe that athletes anymore definitely fall in that category. They're performance artists of of a sort. Um, Do we recognize their contribution to society enough to warrant large salaries? Um, If so, uh, is he worth that large of a salary. Now, we're never going to be able to tackle this topic to any sort of uh, satisfactory conclusion. Um, I'm not educated well enough, nor am I versed well enough in finances uh, and so on to really know what this means. All I know is what I make and what my parents made and what my friends make in general and what they do for a living, and uh, proportionately, uh, it's minuscule compared to $670 million over four years. Now, one thing I'll say about Messi is he is super fun to watch. Um, There's something special about him. He's one of those players, one of those athletes, that you... Just expect him to pull something out of his hat and perform at a clutch moment. And he just always has a little bit of an edge on the field. And uh, for people who are fans of, uh, you know, uh, other, you know, AAA level athletes, you'll know what I'm talking about. That even though Messi may not even be in his prime currently, that just having him on the field uh, is like having a chance always to achieve uh, that victory. Um, one of the things I appreciate about Messi is uh, he doesn't seem to give up, and uh, he doesn't seem to be super greedy with the ball. And You see that more in soccer, more in football than you do in other sports perhaps, but um, always feeding it off to other players, trying to spread it around when he could push forward and infeasibly you know, take the shot himself. And um, it's an interesting attitude for someone that has every reason in the world to be completely ego-driven and self-centered. But there are detractors. There are people who say that uh, Messi is not even uh, the best striker to come from South America, let alone the best soccer player that ever lived. And uh, that the the salary, um, if that is what they're deeming to be worthy of a player of his caliber, then there are people who probably stand in line uh, now to ask for a raise. And so it's an interesting debate. 
But what I wanted to draw out of this is is that um, sports is a very narrow uh, ability uh, profession. And they have a short half-life because of the toll it takes on the body, just because of the natural process of aging, having access to some of the best best health care and medicine and training uh, and some of those uh, technologies obviously keeps you in the game longer than most of us would stay in the game. But it's not something you do forever. And it has a very narrow scope. It doesn't translate to other things. Being good at football doesn't make you good at car repair. It doesn't make you good at finances, per se. Um, there are some bleed over uh, to handling pressure and um, understanding the sport that would lend themselves to other careers uh, in um, tangential uh, industries such as broadcasting or coaching or motivational speaking or, or something along those lines. But um, but for the most part, being an athlete just isn't something that uh, carries over into the real world very well. One of the stranger things uh, in human culture, in modern human culture, um, that's sort of risen out of our new um, materialistic societies is uh, is the value that we do place on certain professions over another. For instance, being a doctor, um, it's just assumed that they get the benefits of the doubt and that we defer to them, um, and that we don't bat an eye uh, when they occupy a rung higher than the rest of us, both financially and socially. Doctors are allowed to have flashy cars. In fact, I've heard multiple times stories of young doctors coming into a practice and that the doctor's group will have a talk to them saying that they need to stop driving their old beat up car because it's a certain image that they need to put forward and um, strange discussions like that that sound completely out of place for most of us who are just happy to have a car that starts when we turn a key Um, but we're completely willing and expectant of doctors to be wealthy and to be paid very well for their services movie stars um, are uh, perhaps uh, an American phenomenon that um, from day one uh, are expected to live glamorously and with the facade of being wealthy and high class. And these people are actors and performers of different styles and and types. And, you know, even reading about the Marx Brothers and about uh, how a lot of times they ended up making movies because uh, one of them, and I, I believe it was Zeppo, I forget which one it was, uh, and I do apologize for going blank on this, but one of them had a terrible uh, gambling problem. And so he would call his brothers and, and ask, you know, they got to get me out of this. These guys are going to kill me if I don't pay them. And so they would do another movie and get some money and he'd be good and he'd be back off betting on horses and whatnot and uh, losing small fortunes uh, and winning small fortunes as a part of a cycle. Uh, Meanwhile, his brothers all lived somewhat comfortably, um, except for there were some massive and ugly estate battles uh, later on in their lives. But they were in no way uh, 
immune uh, to this Hollywood lifestyle that they, they uh, had wealth. They had access to great deals of money that the average person did not. When you look at other industries like uh, the CEOs of oil companies or, or tech companies or communications companies or entertainment companies and the amount of money that they make, uh, it, it really is tempting to stratify uh, the public based on income and become discouraged when you see that uh, at the bottom are people who are working in public health, people who are working in education, um, and so on. And it gets to be very disheartening. And so to see a soccer player, a football player, who makes $670 million over four years for what he does, it almost seems like a personal insult to the rest of us. One of the more interesting things about this phenomenon to me, not only is it uh, that uh, it seems to be the way it will always be, but um, it seems uh, as if it diminishes the idea that uh, no man is an island. When you look at someone like Michael Jordan or someone like Leo Messi, they are on teams uh, that compete and they need other people to function at a high level to prop them up as well. I don't think you could put Leo Messi on the field by himself and put him against even the last place team in La Liga and expect him to even get a tie out of the deal, let alone a win. It's a team sport. It takes all the Pistons firing. And being the best player in the world that never wins is definitely uh, a sour feeling, a sour taste. And for him to have notoriety, uh, it depends on him getting results and for him to get results means he has to be able to score and they have to be able to win and they have to be able to bring their team uh, to a level that it wasn't achieving before hiring them and that requires the help of other people it was interesting when disney bought lucas films from george uh, lucas for four billion dollars billion with a b all I could think of was all the reports of the people that George Lucas had stiffed over the years by claiming that movies like Empire Strikes Back did not turn a profit, or the people who went uncredited as having critical and um, influential roles in the success of the original trilogy. The man built an empire, no pun intended, on his own name, but on the backs of non-union workers and other talented, gifted people who took his core idea and passion but were able to package it and streamline it and polish it in a way that made it classic. But yet George Lucas seems to be the person we focus our attention on. And I wonder sometimes, A, um, is it a part of the human condition to just be delusional and to assume that all of your success is uh, by uh, your own efforts? And two, 
Is it a part of human nature to only be able to recognize success as being the result of one person's efforts? Is it hard for us to recognize that there's a team involved? There's people who are making sets and special effects and storyboards and sounds and all the different writers it takes to polish up his nonsense pulp uh, cobbled together script and make it into something a little more enduring and giving the characters more to do and more of a reason for the audience to be invested and all those people that made uh, us being able to lose ourselves in the moment by by not being distracted by shoddy sets or shoddy costumes. Is it hard for a human being naturally to recognize that that is a group effort and not see it as a result of one person's performance or one person's vision? And therefore, we just continually feed into this cycle of the auteur, of the one person who has the work ethic, the talent, the the charisma, the personality, the blessing to achieve wonderful and great things without the aid of other people. Do we just feed into that myth? So when it comes to the nerd world, uh, who else? Who else are your rock stars that you hear about? People like Grant Morrison, Frank Miller, Mark Millar. Names like that. Names of people who you see and you can instantly tie them into the product that they're responsible for. And that's just in comic books. When you move that over into the world of other entertainment, other nerdy entertainment, there's just as many rock stars, Gary Gaiax with Dungeons and Dragons, who we found uh, over the years as we learn more about the biography and the goings-on that he maybe wasn't as responsible for that TSR phenomenon that we all loved and, and, and launched this world that we're in now without some help from other guys who weren't treated the best. So whenever you hear a report of someone making ridiculous money for a very specific and ultimately worthless skill, other than being incredibly jealous, which is my knee-jerk reaction, I want you to focus in on some of the other questions that we should be asking ourselves, which are, why? Why are they making that much? Who else has put them in a position to be able to make that much? And what would need to change for the perception of that value to no longer seem right, to no longer seem ethical? What would have to change societal on a societal level that would say, for the price of that footballer for four years, we could completely renovate our state's school system from top to bottom? Our kids could have better school lunches. We could have better technology in the classrooms. Our teachers could be paid better. We could offer more incentive uh, to retain good teachers. We could lower classroom sizes and make the teachers more effective. We could grant people uh, time away to further their education, to develop their skills, and to take sabbaticals when emotionally and physically they become drained from the demands of the modern uh, school system. 
These sorts of things could happen for $670 million. So I think these are the sorts of thoughts, these are the sorts of considerations we should have. When we hear someone landing a huge contract for rights to all their works to be optioned by networks or excuse me, Netflix Studios or or Amazon. First of all, good for them, but second of all, let's talk about why and what would need to change to put that in a more appropriate light, to evaluate it more closely to how it deserves to be evaluated. And maybe our societies will change more towards the Roddenberry future of material possessions and monetary wealth being a lesser goal in humanity. If we can figure out what it takes to make the salaries of standout nerds to look obscene when they're at those astronomical uh, values. Something to think about as we head into this sort of uncertain future with nerd entertainment, with COVID having deep effects on our industries. And therefore, I assume, changing the value that those things hold. The big numbers are going to stand out even more, and I think it's more important that we ask questions of ourselves. Why? What makes it worth it? And what would make it possible for that to seem obscene to the community at large? And do we want it to? Or should we value artists and allow for that sort of strike it rich, shoot at the ground, and up comes bubble and crude do we want that carrot to always be out there in the sake of entertainment? How critical is it to the existence of the human race that we have these niche nerds who can excel and are driven by an easy payday? A massive easy payday. What do you think? Something worth thinking about. That about does it for this episode of the Goad Kicker X podcast. I appreciate you taking some time and checking us out. Onward and upwards, as always. Been sort of on a science fiction kick lately. It's the one genre I haven't really dabbled into with my writing. And I've got several projects on the table right now, and two of them are science fiction of different flavors. And so I wanted to talk a little bit today about the sports. Um, it was a news story that was still pretty fresh, and I worry that I'll get spiraling into the, my own interests and I'll only be discussing things of a science fiction or a writing nature. So um, if you like sports, congratulations. You, you had a goad kicker that had sports content. Pretty rare, rare bird. This podcast started talking about skateboarding. And how they were going to uh, put it in the Olympics and my own experiences with skateboarding. Um, those Olympics have still not happened. As long ago as Goad Kicker originally started in its first iteration, uh, because of the postponement of the Olympics uh, due to the pandemic, um, they still have not happened. So 
it's weird. It's been like this deferred future that Goat Kicker um, started talking about. In fact, our original icon for uh, for this uh, project, for this podcast, was me and my skateboard. So sports aren't entirely foreign to this podcast because I'm more interested in culture, uh, the effect of our hobbies, uh, you know, the things that we spend our time and energies on. And sports definitely is one of those things. So I wanted to get it out of the way so I could get back into things like aliens and spaceships and, and laser guns and things of that nature in the future. And speaking of my writing, uh, my newest book uh, released last Friday, Cycle of a Rat by Carl D. Smith. It's a vampire novel. Some of you might find the premise a little familiar if you followed me for a while. It's an adaptation of an idea that we executed as a short comic book, um, but now in a full novel length, uh, exploring the characters and their personalities and their motivations a little bit more uh, closely to what they deserve and what a reader deserves, to be honest with you. And without the crutch that us writers sometimes could rely on, which is a, a capable artist that sort of polishes over our, uh, our rough scripts. Unlike George Lucas, I will admit that a lot of my visual work is due to a team of people. That my script and my writing um, is just a small part of the execution, and Stan Chow knocked it out of the park with uh, with Smell a Rat. And so, um, Cycle of a Rat is the name of the novel. It's available on Amazon. It's available on Kindle, Barnes and Noble. I think maybe even Kobo out there, uh, Apple Books. Who knows? Um, I, I didn't publish this one myself. It's the first time I've had something published by another publisher. So um, I know it's out there. I just don't know the extent of where it's at. You can go to omahabound.com, and they have a product page there. And matter of fact, if you go to Omaha Bound, uh, you're not only supporting the publisher itself, which signals upstream that I'm worth taking uh, a chance on uh, for future projects, but they also have an option to buy a limited edition autographed hardcover version. And if you're a big Carl D. Smith fan, which... You know, uh, there's got to be a few of you out there, right? And you want something to put on your shelf, not only to support me, because, but because you honestly enjoy my writing. That's an option for you to have something that won't be around forever. And it's very unique. Um, not that my autograph is worth a whole lot, but it's something special and uh, you can be a part of this launch. And I think my career is only going up from here. I have some great projects in the pipe. I have some big, uh, big plans coming up, and uh, it'd be fun to be in on the ground level, don't you think? And um, and uh, be able to uh, share in the victory uh, as my career progresses. Because obviously, I can't do this on my own. I need support. I need fans. I need people who read and recommend and share links and most importantly of all write reviews online because that matters so much more than anyone who has never uh, published content can realize that those reviews get prioritized eyeballs and help convince people to buy uh, those star ratings those reviews all of that matters in some weird algorithm and some weird psychology and it becomes a um, it becomes a cycle 
and um, a positive feedback mechanism, if you will, where the more I sell and the more is reviewed, it becomes higher priority and gets it on more eyeballs on Kindle screens and on Amazon search results and so on without me doing any of that weird uh, search optimization stuff. Uh, it is a self-fulfilling promotion if I can get sales, if I can get reviews. So if you bought a book, great, please review it. So again, Amazon, Kindle, Barnes & Noble, and OmahaBound.com. Omaha Bound is my publisher. Please check it out. Consider buying. Let me know what you think. And um, let me know if you want to see more of that particular uh, book. Because this one definitely has some opening for some series uh, uh, spin-offs and so on. And it's something that was intended with the comic book version. It just never happened. So if it takes off, we'll definitely revisit it. Until next time, everybody, thanks for checking out Go Kicker X. Have a great week. Find a way to lift yourself and other people up. Every day when you get up out of bed, try to find something that day that you can improve, whether in your own life or someone else's, even if it's just an encouraging word or a quick note to somebody. Be aware of the mental and emotional state of the people in your life. Be an encourager. Be a shoulder to cry on for those people in your life who need it. Just reach out and let them know that you see them, that you know they're out there, you know that they're thinking, feeling individuals, and that you're there if they need you. Until next time, take care, everybody.